Good morning. There we go. All right. Well, hey, welcome again. Uh, it's really exciting for me to be able to be here at Pursuit. Uh, Pastor Mark is one of my closest friends and somebody that I've known for probably seven, eight years now. And uh, it's really been a blessing to be able to have Mark speaking into my life and my ministry and my family. And for me to be able to do the same and just know that as somebody who is outside of the Pursuit family, that you guys have been prayed for and even just being here and being a part of this today is, is a really cool answer to prayer. Just seeing uh, the fruition of a vision that was birthed in Mark, uh, that was brought alongside, God brought many people alongside of that, and here you are, here we are together. So I just am, am excited and celebrating that. I also want to thank you, um, well really quick, my name is Matt Swigert, uh, I work with LEAD 222, it's a youth pastor coaching organization, we also do short term mission trips all over the country in the summers, and Pursuit partnered with us this last summer, I know your students uh, with the Conklins came over and helped with the with setup, which was a huge help. And then many of you came on that Thursday of that week and helped cater a block party out in the Dayton's Bluff area. And so I, I just thank you guys publicly uh, for that, for the kingdom impact that you made, the, the cool, humble partnership that, uh, that you demonstrated there, um, being about the kingdom. And actually there is some preliminary conversation about Pursuit and the ministry partners that you guys have and are working with here locally being one of the sites that we send students to this summer as well. So perhaps that partnership will go uh, a little bit deeper. Along with working for LEAD 222, which I raise missionary support to do, so that's kind of like a, a job and a half there, right? And then my other job is I'm the tennis coach at the University of Northwestern uh, right around the corner. So, um, and actually... You know, when my first season, I was interviewed by the student newspaper, and, and the last question was, hey, the last question was, uh, what's one thing you want the student body to know about the University of Northwestern tennis program? And I, my response was, dot, 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 um, we have one. Uh, there is tennis at Northwestern. We've actually been pretty good, so it's very cool. Uh, I am the father of three kids and husband of an incredible wife. Um, my oldest is a 16-year-old girl named Caitlin. My wife, Christina, I have a 13-year-old son named Caleb and a 9-year-old named Lucy. And uh, if you guys ever meet Lucy, you'll never forget her. She's the life of every party she's at, so it's really fun. And, uh, today was their day to actually work in Sunday school at our church back in Woodbury, uh, which is why they're not here. A couple other things you've got to know about me. Number one is uh, if, you, if you follow me on Facebook or friend me on Facebook, you'll see my first employment is part owner of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, thank you, amen to that. It's been a wonderful year, and therefore I'm also a Wisconsin Badger fan, so uh, very excited for the next couple weeks. And uh, the last few weeks were really good too, so I hate to rub that in. But actually an interesting thought is I grew up in Wisconsin, but I do not like cheese. So that's my answer to the, the question of the day, what makes sense or doesn't make sense to you. I just, I don't know, I love to wear cheese on my head, but I can't put it in my mouth. It's just, uh, it's just gross. So people like who just eat cheese for fun, it, it, it's crazy. But even eating cheese on pizza or, or whatever just uh, is kind of nuts to me. So um, that's a little bit about me now that the ice is broken. I will say that, uh, you know, typically a late December message in church um, is going to focus maybe a little bit more on like 
celebration and, you know, reflecting and what are all the great things that God did this year. And, you know, before moving forward at all, I want to acknowledge that God is a good God. God has done and is up to doing great things. Um, Jesus still died on the cross. The grave is still empty. And for that, God is worthy of worship. But 2019 for me has been maybe one of the most difficult years I've ever had. And as I've processed the year and I've looked back, there are some ways that, um, that I'm still wrestling with those things. And I've still got a lot of questions. And like the question of the day, there are still some things that don't make sense. And I'm seeking the Lord on that. But know that in, in all things, my posture is that God is good. He is still worthy of worship. And so I don't know where you guys are at. Um, maybe 2019 was the best ever. And I celebrate with you in that. But maybe it's been a hard year. And there are some ways that you've been asking questions and, um, and you're still seeking the answers for that. You know, this year I had uh, some all-consuming and complicated issues with some young people that I lead. And it really negatively flavored a big part of my year. Something that was very dear to me was not a positive experience in a big way. Um, my, one of my assistant coaches for tennis at Northwestern is a former player of mine. Um, and he and his wife lost their baby this year. And I remember um, getting that phone call from him and going over and they did a little like almost kind of like funeral memorial service type thing in their apartment with the pastor from their church and some different friends and just having to sit through that with them. Um, and then in my family, in 2019, we lost five people. Uh, my wife lost two aunts. Um, I lost an aunt, a grandmother. And last February 25th, my dad passed away. And um, we actually had our family Christmas, my side of the family, family Christmas last night. And uh, that was, a, that was a, a difficult, it was nice to be all together, right? But it was difficult. There were a couple moments where I had to step away and just, you know, the, the empty chair was really real, you know. Um, and what's interesting is there was probably three weeks after he passed that um, I was sitting with a friend, and, and he's quite a bit older than me. We were sitting at Chipotle, and I was telling him about what I had gone through and, and about dad and, and, and all of that. And, and my, da my dad loved Jesus, and I wish I had time, but I would love to tell you the story of how he died. It, it is um, just an example of, of a great man of God running into the arms of Jesus. Uh, it really remarkable, but still incredibly painful. And this guy, he's sitting across the table from me, wiping tears out of his eyes. And he's like, yeah, man, my dad passed away 30 years ago. And I was like, that is not what I wanted to see. You know, like 30 years later, you're still getting choked up about it and everything. And it's like, but I, I anticipate that being, um, being the case for me. So there have been a lot of things this year that, that have been difficult. Um, and they even add to it just my own pride, my own selfishness, my own sin, the ways that I get in my way, the, the, the ways that I choose to put stumbling blocks in my own path because I'm stupid and I make too many sinful decisions. This year has been tough. 
But there, some of the things that have been the toughest are those things that are uncontrollable for me. And, you know, people passing away and, and, and really the sins and the, 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 the issues of other people that just affect me. And, and I've been seeking the Lord on God. What is my response to that? What do I do? How do I process when things uh, are uncontrollable and uncontrollably difficult? And the Lord brought me to a really unlikely place, the book of Habakkuk. Uh, I've read it, um, but it was really a random thing that, you know, it's one of those minor prophets that you go read and you're like, I want to read something that, you know, I've never read before and I'm not sure I'm going to understand. And all of a sudden I started studying this book and the Lord was just like, like exploding truth off the page into my life. And so I want to share that with you today. So Habakkuk means, his name means both to wrestle and to embrace. That's a really interesting thing as we think about, you know, our years, I think about my year, there were times where I was wrestling with God and and begging him to give me the answer and to give me insight. Yet at the same time, all I could do was to just embrace him and hold on to him. You guys remember when you were kids or when your kids were young and and you've got the tile floor, the linoleum floor, and one of your kids is like grabbing your ankle and you're like, you know, dragging them across the floor. Like there were times this year that, that in my heart I was wrestling with God, but I was holding on to him with all I had. And I was not going to let go. And Habakkuk, even his name paints that, a great picture of that. You know, God's met me in, in the wrestling and the embracing. You guys, if you've read the Old Testament, you know the story of Jacob. All right, and how he wrestled with God all night, and he came away changed. He came away physically changed, where God touched him in the hip, and, and he walked with a limp the rest of his life. But after that, he became a man worthy of, of God continuing the covenant he made with Abraham all the way through him and, and on into generations. And I want to be that way. I want to, to, as I wrestle, and yet at the same time embrace God, I want God to do something transformational in my life. This book was written during the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah. And Jehoiakim was a knucklehead, okay? He was such a bad dude that he, he was passed over for the throne for his younger brother. So when it was time to, to have a new king, they chose his younger brother over him, but then a few years later, uh, his younger brother was taken into exile in Egypt, and Jehoiakim was made king. He was known as a godless tyrant. Um, the murder, rape, incest, even shifting alliances. There's a, it, you know, he's allied with Egypt, and then it's Babylon, then it's Egypt. And you think about from a, from a national standpoint, if your king, if your leader is doing that, it's going to be a complicated, difficult season, Right? This was also a time culturally where if you had a dispute with somebody, you, you wouldn't go through um, civil or respectful processes to deal with those disputes. It was, you know, murder. It was revenge. It was bribery, getting officials to look the other way. It was, I'm going to do this because I can, but then I'm going to blame it on somebody who's poor and, and make them take the punishment. Those were the, the types of things that were going on. And these are the things that Habakkuk is seeing. And along with Habakkuk, I'm sure there were many people looking to God and asking why. God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? So let's dive into the story here. If you have your Bibles, do encourage you to to look up Habakkuk. There's three chapters in it. It's a short little book. We're going to read much of it. 
Um, if you don't have a Bible, get the app on your phone, or I'm sure Mark or Megan can, can get you a hard copy Bible, but um, want to start reading through this here. So Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. See, Habakkuk saw all these things that are happening and and he makes a, a fair and probably a question very similar to what each of us has asked of God when we're going through hard things, when, when, when life just doesn't make sense. God, why are you allowing this? Don't you see it? When are you going to do something? I tell you what, I, I coach college tennis, but my first love is basketball, okay? Uh, and I'm coaching my fourth grade daughter's basketball team this year, and I, I'm loving it. Uh, but one of the things that I've forgotten is the injustice of human referees, right? Like, that was a foul! How did you not see that? No, I, I never act like that on the sideline, right? Um, but, yes, thank you. Uh, good conviction. No, but it's the same thing. Like, it was as clear as day. How do you not see what's happening here? How do you not do something? Step in. You're the boss. You're in charge. You're supposed to be keeping control. And you're not. And that doesn't make any sense to me, and that's not fair. It's an injustice. All at once, this question and, and these issues cut to the deepest of Habakkuk's core. He had what Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief. Man, if God, God, if you are who you have always said you are, if you are who I have always believed you to be, how can this happen? It doesn't make sense. Habakkuk had this moment where maybe, and I, I think it happens to many people, that they, they're on the knife's edge and he could have fallen into despair and lack of faith. But he continued to press in. God answered really quickly. In verse 5, he says this, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. All right, if you stop right there and just put yourself in Habakkuk's shoes like, oh yeah, let's go. God's going to do something that's going to amaze me, that's never been seen before. This is going to be awesome. So, all right, I'm intrigued. Tell me more, God. Verse 6, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. Okay, wait a second. Good God who just said he's going to do something incredible. And, and wait, your response to the injustice and all these things that don't make sense is you're going to bring in a people that are worse than who we are to fix the problem? That's like the opposite. That's like, you know, there's a, an injustice in a game and the ref, instead of calling the foul on the other team, they call the technical foul on me, on the coach. It's like, wait, that's worse. How can that be? God wasn't going to just punish Judah, but he was going to do it with a people that was way worse. And the crisis grew for Habakkuk. How about you? 
in your life? Have you been crying out to the Lord for healing? I, I know it was a, a tough journey. It was 4th of July, 2018, that my dad got diagnosed with cancer. And from that moment until about two nights before he died, I was praying for healing and begging God, God, you've done it before. Why not now? And then what was really interesting is he went dark and was probably dark for 36, 40 hours, something like that. Um, and it got to the point, and I was, it was my mom and I just there at the house. Um, <laughs> my prayer shifted to, God, why didn't you just take him? You know, it's like I prayed for so long that you would heal him, and now there's no coming back from this, but he's still lingering. You know, it was just a, a crazy have you been to that moment of crisis of belief where you've been praying for something and it just doesn't seem to happen or, or perhaps the answer that's been, that you've received is like further down the, the bad scale. It's the opposite of what you've been praying for. Maybe it's a job issue. Maybe it's a relationship issue. That you've been crying out to the Lord and saying, God, this is an injustice. It doesn't make any sense. When are you going to do something? There are times that God, even in his goodness, chooses to do the opposite or allow that, that issue to continue. Chapter, or verse 12 of chapter 1. Habakkuk says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk kind of comes back to God and asks a question even deeper. And he's like, God, you are, you are too pure. You're too perfect. How can you allow this? We're your people. These people aren't, and they're worse. Habakkuk's got some really huge questions. And I've got three steps I want to point out to having faith when it doesn't make sense. And the first step is this, is to ask. To ask God. To tell him what you're feeling. Tell him your questions. And, you know, I, I've been in ministry a long time. I've been a follower of Jesus my whole life. Um, but there are times when I have to have a big boy conversation with God. And when I talk to people who are hurting, I'm like, it's okay. God can handle your questions, just like Habakkuk. He can handle your feelings. He, he, in fact, it's healthy to ask God these things. But when we ask, we can't doubt. When we ask, we have to say, under like the, the reality and the umbrella of your goodness, and the fact that, just as a complete side note, the fact that God is good and God is sovereign, but it's like, you know, the question of, does God know the future? Well, yes. Kind of, because it's like he knows the future, but he knows the future because he's already there. See, God is eternal. He's not bound by time and space like we are, right? So God is already in the future. When Romans 8 says God's working all things out for the good to those who love him, it's because he's already there working it out. The path that we have to take may be dangerous and it may be hard, and we may say this is not good, but the result of God's work is good. It has to be because God is good. He can't not be good. 
And so when we ask, we have to ask just believing that and trusting that, that even though we are at this spot at this time, on the timeline, the, the, the story or the history of creation, we can only be right here right now. So we only see what we can see. But to trust that God is good and he will bring about good. He has to. But to still be able to ask our questions. So step one is ask. When you're in the midst of a crisis of belief, ask God. This question in 12 and 13 it is actually a fair question, but really it, it's only fair when asked without compromising on faith, without lowering our view of God. It's just an acknowledgement that what we're going through right now stinks. The question isn't, should you ask? It's just how? And making sure that our heart is right as we ask those questions. So what comes after asking? The second step is wait or patience. Okay, so when you ask, you need to wait. Chapter 2, verse 1. This is one of the, the verses that um, if people were going to select a passage that, that really kind of summarizes the book of Habakkuk, it's this. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts, or some translations use the watchtower. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. When you ask, you must be willing to wait. For God to answer. It'll almost guaranteed be longer than our eight second attention span. God's typically not going to answer. And Habakkuk is saying, this stinks. This is an injustice. This doesn't make sense. But I'm going to position myself right here with a view of what you're doing. And I will wait for you to answer. I will trust you. I will be patient. That's a, that's a tough thing for us. We want immediate gratification. We want immediate answers to our prayers. And when the answer doesn't come immediately, or the immediate answer is something that we don't like, all of a sudden we get angry and upset at God and go, you know, pout in the corner too often. We need to be like Habakkuk that's saying, I've got my binoculars, I'm going to put myself in the watchtower, and I am going to watch for you to move. Verse 3, uh, this comes from the Living Bible Translation. This is God talking. These things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. The rest of chapter 2, God lists out the offenses of the Babylonians. And, and he's like, no, I know about them. I know who they are, what they've done. And even them coming here to be part of my punishment on Judah is bringing them closer to their own destruction. Then God ends his comments, and this is the last thing that God says in the book, in verse 20. He, he says all these things about the Babylonians, it's going to be hard for you. Essentially, it's going to be hard for you, but in the end, it'll be made right. And then he says this, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. That's like God just like, you know, okay, I'm going to give you this response. I see the Babylonians. I know them. All right. And have any of you been watching The Mandalorian on Disney Plus? 
Okay, a couple hands, so most of you won't get this. But there's a guy, uh, Creel is his name. He's got the, the uh, I don't know, the prosthetic face, whatever. And he, he was the Mandalorian's friend, I think, in the first or second episode. Um, but he always ends, every, every conversation, he, he ends with saying, I have spoken. And that's it. And he, I have spoken. And he just walks away. And it's like, that's the end. And this is basically what God is doing here. He's like, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Stop your complaining. Just wait for me. I have spoken. All right. Habakkuk, all right. He can do that. He needs to be, wait. Be patient because God is in charge. He is true. He is good. He is sovereign and he has a plan. Habakkuk just needed to wait. We just needed to wait and be patient. 1 Peter 1.7 says this, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. I tell you what, I thought about this, you know, a couple analogies. One is the, the, the gold in the refiner's cauldron or the clay in the potter's kiln. God is calling us to wait and to be patient, to wait for him to move. And that's a process that will refine us. But I tell you what, if you were to ask that hunk of rock that's got gold in it, and you would ask the gold when they're in the midst of the cauldron, are you all right? Are you doing okay? They'd be like, no, it's hot in here. This is uncomfortable. Or the, the clay in the kiln. No, get me out of here. But if you persevere and you're patient, when you come out of that season, you're pure or more pure, like gold. Or, or think about fine china coming out of that kiln. You have been transformed into something that is so much more valuable and useful for God. One of the first passages that I really, as a young man, um, kind of learned and, and owned was James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, that's a trippy statement, right? Consider it joy when you face trials. There's nothing pleasant or joyful about the trial, about the waiting, about the injustice, about the confusion. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Okay, that I can take joy in. Even if it's something that's life-altering, terribly painful, I can take joy in the fact that if I persevere through this trial, that God is going to make me mature, complete, not lacking anything. I'll take it. I was a youth pastor for 12 years. It was a good run at a, at a church in Woodbury. It was a good run. Uh, God is good. Uh, but there were times where it was really difficult, times that I wanted to leave. And in those times, God told me to stick it out, and it ended up being good. And when God called me on and, and positioned me as a, a coach and a mentor to youth pastors here in the Twin Cities in Minnesota and around the country, 
uh, I was like, God, I don't know, am I worthy? I know that I've got the wiring as a coach, but what do I have to offer? And all of a sudden, as I'm working and, and walking with these young leaders through different things that they're going through, and all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a second, I've got a story for that. I lived that. And I remember when I was going through those hard things, thinking, God, I take, I choose joy. It doesn't feel giddy and happy right now, but I choose joy because I trust that you will use this Sunday. Someday you will bring the answer to this. And there have been so many times where I've been sitting with people, and even now, after still like, I'm just barely ahead of some people, but I'm still like grieving my dad bad. And there are people who have lost parents between me losing my dad and now. And I've been able to sit with them and, and cry with them. And like it's like I have genuine joy because I was patient and I waited through those challenging times. And now God is using it. It's worth it. Coming out of the cauldron, coming out of the kiln, it's worth it. Finally, looking at Habakkuk again, chapter 3, verse 2. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And Habakkuk goes on to tell stories of the, the deliverance from Egypt and the conquest of the promised land. And then in verse 16, I have heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And if you guys have Bibles that you write in, which I encourage like circle, highlight, underline, verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. If you want to have faith when it doesn't make sense, first, you, it's okay to ask the questions. You need to ask the questions. Articulate what's going on. Step two is you need to wait. You need to have patience. And step three is that faith that God you are my strength. You will make my feet like the feet of a deer to enable me to tread on the heights of God. I want to get back to those mountaintops. You know what's really interesting, though? If you guys have traveled and been on top of mountains, nothing grows on the top of the mountain. It's fun to be up there. It's exhilarating to see the views. It's a wonderful place. But where does all the growth happen? Down below in the valley. We want to get back up to the mountaintop. We want to be there. We want to tread on the heights. But it takes going through the valley to get there. And it makes that even more special. So here's the truth. You cannot have Habakkuk 3 faith without asking Habakkuk 1 question and having Habakkuk 2 patience. I've got something that I want to share with you here. Uh, underneath your chair is on... The aisle chairs here and the, on the outside sections, the inside chairs. Um, I printed off a poem. And so grab those, pass them down. And uh, I 
I heard this from Craig Rochelle. He's the senior pastor at Life Church in Oklahoma City. Uh, when this poem was written, it was written by a 15-year-old student of his, okay? And uh, so this student now is a, an adult, and, and it's been years since this was written. But I want to read this to you. This is Kyle's poem. He writes this, God doesn't love me. You can't force me to believe God is good. This is the one truth in life. This world is a product of chance. How can I believe that God will use my life? I know with certainty that God has left me. Never again will I say that Christ has risen from the dead. I know now more than ever in my life that man can save himself. We must realize that it is ignorant to think God answers prayers. Christians declare that without God, this world would fall into darkness. This world can and will meet my needs. Is it, a, it is a lie to say that God has always been there for me. I now realize that no matter what I do, the truth is he doesn't love me. How can I presume that God is good? That's a dark, dark poem. Think about the Habakkuk 1 place that Kyle must be in his life to write that. But here's the twist. Let me read it again. This time I'm going to start from the bottom. God is good. How can I presume that he doesn't love me? The truth is, no matter what I do, I now realize that God has always been there for me. It is, it is a lie to say that the world can and will meet my needs. Without God, this world would fall into darkness. Christians declare that God answers prayers we must realize that it is ignorant to think man can save himself. I now know more than ever in my life that Christ is risen from the dead. Never again will I say that God has left me. I know with certainty that God will use my life. How can I believe that the world is a product of chance? This is the one truth in life. God is good. You can't force me to believe God doesn't love Pretty sweet, huh? Now, it would be awesome for me to be able to stand up here and say, yeah, just, you know, make a decision to, to have great faith and, and you're going to go from, you know, top to bottom, Kyle's poem, to bottom and top. It's just going to, you know, it's that easy. It's not. It takes time. It takes perseverance. It takes patience. But what God is allowing into your life, he is still good. Over time of faithful standing and waiting on the Lord, we see that God has brought about something completely unexpected. And hopefully, as you guys have been followers of Jesus, or just maybe even new followers of Jesus, you've seen that God has been at work and he has redeemed hard things from your past. He's, he's created these stories in you. And right now, we need to remember that. Remember who he is and patiently wait I heard the line, I've walked with Jesus for enough yesterdays to trust him with my tomorrows. Whatever you're going through, it's okay to ask God. Ask in faith. Patiently wait and watch what God does and how it will grow your faith. So I'm going to close in prayer here in a second, but uh, I'm going to put one slide here up on the screen. And, you know, something for me I'm an intensely relational person, okay? And so going to church and, um, you know, coming in 
shaking the hand at the, the person at the door, and then leaving without really connecting with somebody that feels empty for me. Now, I don't want to force you, so I'm going to close in prayer, and we're actually going to end the service, but I'm going to give you this challenge and encourage you to actually do this. But before you leave, find somebody here, and it might be the person who you did the question of the day with, but find somebody here to ask or to share your responses to these two questions. What's caused the need for you to ask and wait this year? And if it's nothing, if you're saying, like, seriously, I kicked tail this year, it was awesome, cool, okay, that's great. But the reality is, like, we don't need to show up here and pretend that it's been all good. It's not about, like, being mopey and all sad, but it's like, we are the body of Christ. And if one part is hurting, all the other parts should know about that to be able to come alongside. Think about getting a text message or an email or a phone call or, or an invitation out to lunch, dinner, coffee, whatever, with somebody later on this week, and the question is, hey, I've been praying for you. How is it going? The more you're willing to kind of humbly and openly, you know, um, share what's going on, it, all of a sudden you realize that you are standing up on the watchtower watching for what God is doing, but then you look around and there are other people standing with you. And so if you're willing, find somebody to, to share that, that response to, and then really, like, what would it take? What would it look like to stand on the watchtower together? What can I specifically, intentionally do in your life to stand with you, walk with you, just sit with you through whatever you're going through? So that's the encouragement. Hopefully, um, as you guys navigate this as, as individuals, as families, and as a church, whatever you're going through, that um, the story of Habakkuk will be a good reminder and a motivator for you. Let's pray.